It truly is a privilege to be with you as we initiate our fourth session in regards to the amazing love of God. Beloved, I believe that this session is going to be uh, empowering, to say the least. Some of you have heard some of the things I'm going to share, but I'm going to be honest with you. We got a lot of new things to put in in the context of redemption. Oh, man, you're going to see some things. Literally, I had uh, a good friend of mine, one of the best artists I've known. I I asked him, I said, you know what? I I want you to graphically paint a portrait of the real Christ when he suffered on the cross. The real Christ when he was uh, mm, when he was scourged on our behalf, and we're going to show you a portrait about midway through this session. It'll really it'll, it's life changing, and we're doing it for a purpose that you might understand what the enemy tries to to do to minimize the price that was paid for you, how religion tries to minimize it, and how God wants to magnify it. I tell you, it'll be life-changing in itself. And at the same time, we've got some things to share that you've never heard before that is going, it's going to be amazing. And if you've never heard me teach on the redemptive work of Jesus, actually, we have a book that's going to be coming out in a few months called How Much Did Jesus Suffer? I mean, honestly, I've been working on it literally for decades. I mean, it's going to be life-changing, I believe, to the body of Christ. But amen. Now, the reason why we're entering into this in the context of the amazing love of God, you know, in our prior session, in our last session, we shared about God's need to minister to your need just to the degree that he has that need. I shared that, you know, I wear everywhere I go. Uh, on my right wrist, I have, uh, it says, I must. You know, it is, uh, it just says, I must. And people ask me, why do you wear that all the time? Because Jesus said in Luke uh, 13, I must heal. I, I must save. I must deliver. I must meet the needs of, uh, of my children. Glory to God. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Probably the greatest battle that there is in your personal life as a Christian is just entering in to your faith in the goodness of God. You say, Pastor, I know that God's good. I'm going to tell you something. Man, when things are not going well, when there's a battle, when, when, you know, finances seem to plummet or, you know, one of your best friends, you know, uh, betrays you, perhaps a spouse leaves. I mean, there may be sickness in in your body, things uh, that you did not expect. I'm going to tell you something. There is a battle because the devil's right there in the five cents realm. He's the God of this world. That doesn't mean he controls everything. He certainly doesn't control you and me. It means he's the God of the five sense realm in the sense that he lives, he orchestrates his deception through the five sense realm. That's the Bible of the natural man. In the midst of trial, your natural man will try to come up and say, where's God? Uh, Why isn't this happening? On and on and on. In Numbers 13 and 14, uh, as referred to in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, it gives that Numbers 13 and 14 uh, is one of the greatest types of the battle that you face as a Christian regarding your faith in God's goodness. It shares about 12 men, leaders. I mean the best of the best. I mean there's... Three and a half million people in Israel, uh, and the tw- uh, you know the twelve tribes and Moses, man picks the best of the best, of the leaders of every one of those tribes. And, and you know when they saw the gi- everything was good until they saw the giants. Can I tell you something? Y- you know Christianity is for real. Uh, I mean it's not something. The, the Bible's not something just to teach it at Sunday school. I mean this is for real. 
You're going to enter into places where, man, you're going to have to have a God that's real. You're going to have to have a creator that's real. You're going to have to have a savior that's real. You're going to have to have a healer that's real. You're going to have to have a deliverer that's real. You're going to have to have a spirit of God in you that manifests the resurrection power of Christ, as the Bible says, because if it's not real, you're going to find that real quick that it's not. But thank God it is, because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It is the reality, the realness. Glory to God of God himself. Hallelujah. All right. Well, you said that's quite an introduction. It is. Again, Numbers 13 and 14. Everything was okay to list all the giants. You're going to see giants. And if you don't have what I'm teaching you now in this series, the, the love of God, if the love of God, if faith in the love of God is not in you in a profound fashion, I'm going to tell you something. The natural man can override the faith that you do have. If you don't know how to get the word of God in you and then to uh, mix faith with it. That's why we're doing this series. Not just to say, wow, that was really good teaching. But so the word of God can get in you in a way that when you see giants to where it looks like, man, you, there, there's no way out. You're going to die. This like with Moses, when man, the, the children of Israel, they had the Red Sea in front of them, and they had one of the most prolific armies, uh, Pharaoh's uh, and, and his warring army behind them. It looked like there was no way out. He needed a God that was real. Man, in Matthew chapter 14, we've gone over this different times. Peter was walking on the water, and he's looking at Jesus. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus, because of the storm that came, I mean the rain, the lightning, the wind. When he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. I'm here to tell you something. This is not a game. You, you have to learn to keep your eyes on Jesus. I've got to learn to keep my eyes on Jesus. I've got to learn to enter in daily, immersed in the goodness of God, making a decision that no matter what I see, no matter how I feel, I am going to confess that the goodness and mercy of God buoys me up. I am blessed. I will not be harmed. And I will destroy, glory to God, the demonic forces that are arrayed against me. And hallelujah. And I will be on the offensive and I will be used to deliver those who are in bondage, in fear, in sickness, in disease, in inability, seeming inability. And I will bring them out, glory to God. Just like David, the man took the sheep out of the lion's mouth, out of the bear's mouth. And then when the lion attacked the counterattack, he destroyed the lion. He destroyed the bear. Man, man, with his hands, with his bare hands, glory to God, bringing destruction to the enemy. We're called to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We're called to destroy the destroyer. You say, man, that's a lot. It is. Being saved is it, you know, is it having an insurance policy in the back of your pocket? It's entering into a place where Jesus Christ is real to you. And, and this teaching is so powerful. It, it will really, it will immerse you in the reality of the love of God and the way that virtually nothing else can. Glory to God. Again, you know, Numbers 14. Then when they went in, uh, despite the land, I don't think they realized what they were going to see. But you see, it didn't matter because there was two people, Joshua and Caleb. That there's 10 spies that, man, told the three and a half million people, man, we're going to die. The, the giants are so big and we are like, they, they're big in our sight and we're small in their sight. We're like grasshoppers to them. And man, they were going to kill Joshua, Caleb, Moses. Uh, and just to go back to Egypt, 
How many people do you know have gone back to Egypt? Man, I tell you, Jesus, you need to make a decision. You're never going to think about going back to Egypt, let alone going back. But you've got to be immersed in the love of God. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water, can I tell you something? There was no storm. It wasn't raining when he stepped out on the water. It wasn't windy when he stepped out on the water. There was no lightning when he stepped out on the water. But you see, it didn't matter. Because as long as he looked at Jesus, as long as he looked at Jesus, I'm going to say that one more time. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he walked on the water. I, I want you to look at me if you're watching my video. Man, you're listening to my CD. I want your ears to be perked up. Jesus said, verily, verily. I'm just saying, listen up. In these last days, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. You've got to enter into a place where the Word of God is so real to you that it's stronger than what you've experienced in the context of hurt. It's stronger than anything where you are not going to doubt the love of God. And I tell you, a man that walks in humility, faith in the love of God, woo, and then in wisdom and learning how to put the Word of God in him and mix his faith with the Word that's in him, he will never lose glory to God. But you need to understand. I need to understand. And these last days, man, the devil is going to be strong. But he's no match for Jesus. He's no match for you as long as your eyes are on Jesus. But the only way that your eyes are going to be on Jesus in the midst of the storm, in the midst of giants, is if you have the word of God in you. And not just anywhere, but the specific words, scriptures regarding the love of God. I tell you, and there's nothing, nothing that conveys, that exemplifies the love of God more than the price that was paid for you on Calvary's tree. Glory to God. All right. Now, that's the introduction. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. There is a battle. And 10 men, the, uh, the, great, the greatest men of Israel, they, didn't, they said, you know what? God's brought us out here to harm us. God's brought us out here to kill us. God's brought us out here to let our wives and our children be raped by these giants. It broke the heart of God. Joshua and Caleb said this. Listen to me. They said, if God loves us, if God delights in us, then you know what? He is going to destroy the giants before us. They didn't say it if we keep, the, you know, because we kept the law the best we can, God's going to destroy the giants. They didn't say, you know what, man, we are so cool. We, we just walk so well. You know God's going to come through for us. No. They said if God delights in us, then these giants will be bred. Glory to God. We're going to have glory to God. Amen. We're going to have big beds that they had because they're going to be destroyed and we're going to take their houses. We're going to enter in and we're going to win because the devil's no match for God. Hallelujah. And God himself will come through for us. You say, how can I do that? Well, it's, you see, the word of God, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 has supernatural power that caused you to enter into the faith that Jesus had so you can enter into believing like Jesus believes so you can know that the life of God that manifested for him, in him, through him, and for him by the Holy Ghost is going to manifest for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christian means 
that have the confirming power of the Holy Ghost that manifests for Jesus because of the righteousness of Jesus, amen, is now been gifted to you, hallelujah, so the Holy Ghost will confirm you as you believe, just like he confirmed Jesus. All right. Woo! That's introduction. All right, let's, let's get, get right into this. I don't think there's a personal life that really understands fully. I, I mean, I don't think there's a person alive that really understands the tithe of, what, of the price that was paid. You see, when the devil comes against you and say, you know, God's not for you. God doesn't love you. God's condemning you. God's not going to come through for you. Look at the giants. Look at the giants. Look at the giants. Look at this. Look at this. I'm going to tell you something. God wants you to look at him at the devil, and say, you know what, devil? I want you to look at the blood. I want you to look at the straps of Jesus. I want you to look at the cross. I want you to look at the price that was paid. And I guarantee you this, he'll be gone before you finish those statements. But you got to know it. You've got to know it. So many people say, yeah, but when they get in battle, I, I tell you, that rather than running to the battle, they run from it. And I, I, I tell you, there's a teaching anointing on me apostolically in the context of sonship that caused you to enter into knowing, glory to God, mm, that the love that God will reveal to you is the same love that will fight for you. In glory to God. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Go with me, if you would, to Leviticus 16. I could share so much. When I was a young Christian, I, I mean 20 years old, I got saved when I was 18. I mean, I had a vision of two goats. And I'll be honest with you, when I was about 25 years old, 26 years old, I was teaching high school in a public school in central Pennsylvania. And I kept having this vision of these two goats. And I wasn't raised a Christian. I mean, and so I'm still getting to know the Bible. And I just was talking to one of my friends that was discipling me. And I said, you know, since the, almost the time I got saved, I see these two goats. And, and God keeps telling me it's the key to redemption, the key to life, and I don't understand it fully. You know, I looked up the goats in concordance, and I actually looked at Leviticus 16, but didn't understand it. And he shared some things with me, and then I just gave myself to fasting and prayer. I mean, I mean for decades. And I want to share with you some of the things that God shared with me. Leviticus 16 shares of the Day of Atonement the most holy day on the Jewish calendar, the most holy feast. And glory to God, it's shares of two goats. It's shares of the first goat, the goat of punishment. A, a goat that would, that is a type, a type is a symbol, a type of the physical punishment that Jesus would endure. And we're going to look at this in depth. The second goat, called the scapegoat, you probably have heard that term, the scapegoat, Really, in the Hebrew, it's uh, the goat of Elziel, A-L-Z-I-E-L, -E which translates as scapegoat. And it, it's the second goat. The, the first goat represents the suffering, the physical suffering of Christ. The second goat represents the spiritual suffering that Jesus went through. All right, let's just jump right into it. 1 Peter 2.24, in fulfillment of Isaiah 53.4, says that by his stripes were healed by his stripes. You know, Jesus, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, when he, he was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, 
You know, the, the Bible says that uh, he was beaten, you know, by the soldiers. And he was also beaten by, uh, you know, the Jewish people. There was, there, really, he went through five different trials. They took him from one place to another. And, uh, you know, the, what we see, the thorns, that you know, make like a crown on his head. They were actually thorns, uh, I mean, about an inch and a half long that they thrust into his skull. See, religion will minimize all that Jesus did. But, but the Bible, we're talking the Bible. The Bible says that he was whipped uh, he, 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 over 40 times. Some people say it was 39 times. You know, that, that was Jewish law. You couldn't uh, whip a man more than 39 times because he would die. Well, he wasn't beaten by, you know, Jewish people. He was beaten by Roman soldiers. They had no such law. So they would, they would whip him. And the whip, at the end of it, it had pieces of, of sharp teeth and pieces of glass. I, I mean, just, and they were professionals at this. And, and I mean, one lash would take the skin off your back. What do you think more than 40 would do? I, I, I mean, Jesus, and it went around to his stomach. Jesus didn't have any skin on his back. His entrails were hanging out. I mean, his, his, his chest was, bare, was open. You say, why are you telling me this? So you can understand the a price that was paid for you because, you see, you will enter into your worth when you see the price take on you. Glory to God. See, it's one thing to say, yeah, God sent his only begotten son. It's another thing what he sent his son to go through. Glory to Jesus. You know, if I, if I have a table, you know, sometimes I watch the antique road show. If you're, you know, uh, and it's like, you, you know, a, a table, I, I look and say, man, that's worth $50, but it's an antique. It might be worth $100,000. See, someone that knows, knows the price. I'm here. God wants you to understand. He wants you to know the price. So, we, we, so Jesus was whipped. He was scourged. And then the Bible says, in, well, let's go with me to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. See, most people don't even, most people don't know this at all. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, Jesus said this. Mm, I gave my back to the smiters, uh, to those who whipped me. And my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I hid not my face from them, but availed myself, let them do this. Again, look at me, listen to me. Jesus was a man like you and I. As it was custom of the times, he had a long beard. Man, they literally, they literally tore his they tore his face off, man. How can you just pluck somebody's beard, rip their beard out without taking their face with it? Can you understand now what the Bible says that Jesus was marred more than any other man to the point that he was not recognizable? You couldn't tell, man, if he was an animal or a human. Man, his entrails are hanging out his back, hanging out his chest, thorns thrust into his head. He's, they ripped his face off, man. And then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, I, I mean, Psalm 22, go there with me. In Psalm 22, when, this, when Psalm 22 was written, 
The crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. But God knew how his son was going to die. In Psalm 22, 1, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That, that, now that enters into the second goat. We'll look at that. But you can, you can see it's talking about the, the cross. And then, then it goes on to say uh, how, how they, mm, Jesus, Jesus, how they pierced his hands. Jesus, uh, they, they pierced his feet. And when they pierced his hands, I mean, we're talking, I used to carry it around with me everywhere I went. It's like a railroad spike. They pierced his hands. They pierced his feet. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then it says, uh, oh, and in Psalm 22, 12, many bulls have come past me, strong bulls of Bashan, like dogs. They, 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 were, they gaped at me with their mouths as a ravenous and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. That's how it happens with the crucifixion. I am poured out like water. Now listen to this. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. That's how somebody dies. Through crucifixion, they die by suffocation. That's why they're always trying to pull themselves up. And that's why when the Roman soldiers would come to people so they wouldn't be on the cross excessively for, you know, because they kept not dying by pulling themselves, they'd break their legs. But when they came to Jesus, Jesus had already given up the ghost, the Bible says. And so the fulfilled scripture that not one of his bones would be broken. Man, it goes on to say they gambled, you know, for his cloak. And, uh, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I, I mean, crucifixion is, is, is going through physical hell. And, here's what's a, and people don't understand this. Man, he's nothing but blood. What do you think blood attracts? Man, it, it, it attracts uh, insects. I mean, you read, you read about crucifixions historically. Man, insects would come and, and they would just literally, man, be eating, eating up your, you know, your eyebrows. Man, you know, there's birds that are trying to peck at you. We need to see the real Jesus on the cross. We need to see redemption as it is so you can understand the love, the amazing love that he had for you and has now. Jesus. The pain that he suffered, physically, honestly, it, it, it's beyond belief. Now, some of you may have seen The Passion of the Christ, where it does in explicit detail show you the scourging. I, I remember when I, I watched the movie, I, I, I couldn't, I put my eyes down, I had enough, I couldn't watch it. Just a few, you know, straps. I'll never forget, we I left early with a group of people and we were sharing the gospel as people came out from that movie and almost every person asked the same question, almost invariably. Why did he have to suffer like he did? Man, why did he have to suffer like that? And the answer is this. Where there's sin, there is punishment that has to be realized. And the physical punishment that Jesus took was the punishment that you and I deserved. He took the physical punishment that God demanded in his righteousness. That's why hell is infinite because sin is infinitely abhorrent to God. But he paid the price that you and I were to pay eternally. 
through what he did in his physical sufferings. But here's what I want you to understand. If Jesus Christ would have went through all he did physically as that first goat, you and I still would never be able to go to heaven. Because you see, if someone took the punishment for your sin, you'd still be sinful. If you committed murder and someone took the electric chair for you, you'd still be a murderer. Jesus said from within comes forth adulteries, fornications, murderers, every evil th thing that there is. The Bible says that the heart of man, the preborn again man, is exceptionally wicked beyond what anybody can even convey. So you and I could have never entered into heaven because unrighteousness cannot be where God is. So the second goal, what's that about? You see, God had not only to take the punishment for your sins physically, <clears throat> he had to negate somehow. He had to get rid of your sinfulness. And he did it through the law of negation. What's the law of negation? Well, you see it in the book of Leviticus. You see it in, in Numbers 21, where when they sinned and Moses interceded and, and God said, put a snake on a standard, which a standard is a cross. And when they look at the snake, they'll be healed. That snake represents Jesus mm, becoming sin. You see, snakes were biting them. They get rid of the snakes the snake had to be put on a standard representing Jesus. And we'll look into that. But it's the law of negation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, experienced the hellishness of sin. We read Psalm 21, even the separation from the Father. Jesus. So we could enter into a place of righteousness. I explain it this way very, very simply. Killer bees, if enough of them sting you, they can kill you. But every species of killer bees, they bring death to the person that they envelop, but they always die in the process. Listen to me. In the law of negation, that which is evil has to spend itself on that which is perfect. Jesus had to qualify to die. And that evil would run its course. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, listen to me, he purged our sins. He let sin run through him. No, he never sinned. But he entered into a place of experiencing sin. The weakness of it, the hellishness of it, the abhorrence of it. How much did Jesus suffer? I've asked that so many times to God. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, look at the law of abhorrence. I said, Lord, what's the law of abhorrence? He said, to the degree that you abhor something, Hebrews 12, 9, is to the degree that something can hurt you. I'll never forget, there was a, a young lady living with my wife and I, uh, and uh, we're trying to help her out, and her, her dad was an alcoholic, and he died. She got word, and 
Really, it didn't affect her at all. She had virtually no relationship with him because they never interacted. I had a boy in a Bible study, a young man, 18 years old, from central Pennsylvania, and he got word. His dad, 39 years old, heart attack and died. It ripped this kid apart. Why? Because he was so close to his father. The more something can hurt you, the more you abhor something, the more it can hurt you. Oh, Jesus. What did Jesus hate most? Sin. And that's what he became. Now listen to me. If you get this, it'll change your life. What does it mean? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin, that word knew is from the Hebrew word yod. It's, it's closely translated and it's one of the only words that's not fully translated in, in, into the Greek. It means to know something intimately, experientially. He, who, he, he never knew sin experientially because he was perfect. He who knew no sin came to know sin. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 came to taste sin. What's it mean? It means Jesus let himself become like you so you could become like him. Did you ever succumb to sin? Man, you, you get weak. And then you just exchange the glory of God. Jesus entered in to that reality, not sinning, but as he did sin, experiencing the pain of it. Jesus. Every sin. Every sin. Every sin. Jesus. 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 Go with me to Mark 14, 33. And Mark 14, 33 the Bible says this. It's some of the most amazing verses that you will ever hear. This is as Jesus is entering in just prior to the, the giving himself over in Gethsemane. And rather than overcoming sin, he's now letting the enemy just do what he wanted to do to him to destroy him. He's letting himself now entering into the place of being that second goat, the goat of Elziel. Listen to this. It says, he began to be struck with terror and amazement, deeply grieved, overwhelmed with depression and grief to the point of death. The word struck with terror is the word adamano in the Greek. Oh, Jesus. It means to enter into a place that you've never been before. Notice it says struck with terror and amazement. There's two words there, adamano, A-D-E-M-O-N-O, -O, and then the word exostasis. Exostasis means to go from one state to another. It could go to a higher state, which is good, or to a lower state, which is bad. This is in the context of entering in To becoming you and I in our sinfulness. Experiencing the inability to overcome the one that would harm. Entering into exchanging the glory of God. He entered in to the reality. Some of you read that book, 23 Minutes of Hell. 
God let a man go to hell for 23 minutes and not experience it in fullness, but just to some degree, the darkness. The man hardly ever led a person to Christ. I believe about 38 years old. When he came back, that first year, I believe he led 10,000 people to Jesus. God took away his cognizance of being saved and he entered into hell, experiencing the separation, the darkness, the loneliness, the inability to ever be saved. He said it was horrendous. God graced him to do that. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus entered in to becoming sin, to knowing sin, bearing sin, purging our sin, tasting our sin, as if he sinned himself. Why? Because he had to become like you to discharge you from you so you could be like him. Listen, this, is the, this book is amazing. I'm going I'm to bodily healing and the atonement. I'm going to lift it up here and so you can see it. Bodily healing and the atonement. It's an amazing book by Dr. T.J. McCrossin. Just amazing. And I want to read you something from here that's changed my life. Uh, it, it refers to a man whose last name was Delich. And, and this man was uh, without exception. The greatest Hebrew scholar in Germany taught Hebrew at Rostock, Erlington, and Lesbic. As a Hebraist, there's no opponent. uh, uh, There's no greater Hebraist. None. And he was also a deeply spiritual man. Now, Now listen to this. When it's talking about Matthew 8, 17, Jesus bearing our sin in the context of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, becoming sin. Jesus. Listen to this. Listen to it with all your heart because it is something that will change your life forever. He says, regarding Isaiah 53, 4, Delich says, freely but faithfully does the gospel of Matthew translate the text. Himself took our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. He goes on to say that the help which Jesus rendered in all kinds of bodily sickness is taken in Matthew to be a fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied of the Savior of Jehovah. Now listen to this. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He goes on to say that even as Jesus took on, he assumed a heavy burden of sin and bore away the guilt of sin as one's own. This is to say to bear sin mediatorily in order to atone for it. He goes on to say this. Listen to this. In regards to his becoming sin, bearing our sin, It is not meant that the servant of Jehovah merely entered into the fellowship of our sufferings, but he took upon himself the sufferings that we had to bear. Obviously, you could see that he bore the physical punishment. He also bore the spiritual necessity to become intensive. The sufferings that we had to bear and deserve to bear. And therefore, now listen to this. He not only bore our sins away, but also in his own person endured them in order to discharge us from them. Now when one takes sufferings upon himself, which another had to bear, and does this not merely in fellowship with him, but in his place, we call it substitution. 
listen to me. The only way your sinfulness could be taken away was if that sinfulness was born by Jesus himself. Religion says your good works can take away the evil nature. It's a lie. The only way that your sin nature can be negated, destroyed, is through Jesus Christ experiencing the sin nature. Now, behind me, the backdrop, you see, right now, you see the portrait. Right now, the portrait is behind me. Or, or, or I, I tell you, the, the, I mean, Genesis Studios, uh, uh, he just does an awesome job. He, he, he's going to put it so you can see it uh, right graphically. Look at it. Look at it. It's Jesus to a degree showing as he really, after he was scorched and began to carry the cross. And you know that he, he fell under the weight of the cross and Simon of Serene had to carry it for him because of all the blood that he lost. I want you to look at that. I want you to look at it and understand. Jesus was scourged as punishment for you that you were to take and I was to take. But I want you to see as well when you look at the depiction of Jesus Christ virtually unrecognizable. I want you to understand in the spirit, Jesus, 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 he entered into the reality of the evil that you consisted of, experiencing that evil to deliver you from it, <clears throat> to the point that the father literally left him because he could not look at the sin that Jesus had become. It was as if Jesus literally sinned to the point that he was unrighteous in the sight of the Father and the Father left because Jesus had to endure and experience separation that happens when you sin. You experience that separation. When you sin, when you enter into impurity, when you enter into selfishness, when you enter into sin in general, it, it, it's death. You experience the separation. Listen to me. What you experience is correlative to your righteousness. To the degree that you abhor sin is to the degree that you experience the pain of separation, which is minimal compared to Jesus. Because Jesus Christ was perfect. He had infinite abhorrence for sin even as he is infinitely pure even as he is infinitely glorious mm, he entered in to correlative separation correlative grief correlative sorrow to the point that he was overwhelmed with depression just thinking about what he had to enter into overwhelmed with grief overwhelmed with sorrow this is the same Jesus that said let not your heart be troubled but now he's entering into anxiety depression he's entering into the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 screams he just screamed 
and screamed. Not, not like, you see, we don't understand. He screamed. We, we read it. We, we read it like, Father, take this cup from me. No, in Hebrews 5, the Bible said he screamed, take this cup from me. Take it from me. Why? Because we entered into a place of destruction, of pain, of sorrow, of grief. In order, as the goat of LZL, the goat of removal. So when you accept Christ, the evil within you this beyond what can be conveyed as the book of Jeremiah shares. It's the greatest miracle that one could ever even consider. The evil nature is gone in a blink of an eye and replaced by the very image, the very DNA of the living God. He who knew no sin came to know, experience, bear, taste, purge, become sin. But it doesn't stop there. In order that you might become the righteousness of God Almighty. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, man, People don't understand. Adam and Eve, I shared this in a prior session, that Adam and Eve were beings of, just beings of creation. They were beings of impartation. God breathed. Can you imagine? God, through the act of breathing, translated the glory of his own being into a definite degree into them, causing them to be a living being. Woo! And, but they gave it up. They exchanged it, just like you and I have. And what was the first thing that Jesus did in John 20, 22? Just like in Genesis 2, 7, he breathed in to Adam. Woo, glory to God. He breathed into the apostles. Genesis 2, 7 and John 20, 22 are two of the most revelatory, amazing verses in all of Scripture. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. What's this have to do with everything? What's it have to do with you? Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I have so much written down, but I just don't have time to get into all of it. Go with me to Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. says that if we believe, oh my, Romans 8.32, if we believe that God he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Will he not with him give us freely all good things? You see, what I want you to understand, there's so much here, so much here, so much here. Oh, Jesus. What I want you to understand is that if God went through hell to get to you, Will he not be unto you who he is? I'm going to say that again. If God went through hell to get to you, once he comes to you, 
Will he not give everything within him as an inheritance to you? If we could only understand how Jesus suffered. And you have to understand the Holy Spirit suffered along with him. I, I, you know, I think the Father suffered. I, I mean, the Father had to watch this and then be separated from him. We really need to see the love of God towards us. If Jesus Christ entered into infinite suffering to deliver you, heal you, give you strength and victory? Do you think he's going to harm you? Do you think he's going to let the enemy destroy you? Beloved, the Bible says this, that we are now joint heirs with Christ. Whoo, hallelujah. The Bible says this, that you see, even as Jesus entered in, to becoming sin. And I tell people this all the time and so many don't understand. I say Jesus just did not die for you. He died as you. To deliver you from you in the context of the law of negation. And what's amazing is this. When Jesus Christ entered into the fullness of becoming sin and then finishing it in fullness. The Bible says this. He was in the grave three days. But then he rose. But here's what's exciting. When he entered into becoming sin, bearing your sin, he became as you. But when he rose, you became as him. One of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture is 1 Timothy 2.5. It says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. There's a tremendous difference between Jesus being your intercessor and your mediator. Your intercessor. Yes, he prays for you, but you see, as your mediator, he now is the power, I like to put it the way, he's the power plant between heaven and earth. Man, when you pray and you say, God, I, I, I sinned and I don't feel like I can be forgiven. I sense condemnation. But Father, I, I, I receive you to forgive me. 1 John 1, 9. Cleanse me from all, right, all unrighteousness. Take away the condemnation. You know what happens? Woo! The Father hears that prayer because you pray it in the name of Jesus. The Father then looks at Jesus according to 1 Timothy 2, 5 and he sees a man. He just doesn't see any man. He sees the second Adam. He doesn't see the first Adam. He doesn't see you in your sinfulness. He sees you in Christ. Hallelujah. And he looks at that man, the second Adam. He sees you in him in heavenly places. And he says, Lord, Holy Ghost, you take over and manifest what's in the second Adam into this man now on the earth so he can enter into the righteousness. Hallelujah. Enter into the wholeness. Enter into the image. Enter into the victory. Enter into the abundant life. Enter into the glory. Hallelujah. Of my son. Even as he is in him. Even as he who knew no sin has become sin. 
so you could be as the second Adam is. Do you see why the Bible says in 1 John 4, even as he is, so are you now in this world? I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ right now, he's all God, but he's all man. He's the man Christ Jesus. Why is he the man Christ Jesus? Because he's the second Adam. So when you pray to the Father, the Father looks at that man. Woo! And then he looks at you. And he says, you know what? Because the second Adam has given you and I his righteousness, He's saying, you know what? There's no difference between that man and the heavenlies, the second Adam, the mediator, the man Christ Jesus, and you, so as he is, so are you. Hallelujah! And the Holy Ghost manifests the second man through the infusion power that only he can manifest. According to Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who infuses the life of Jesus into me. So it's not hallelujah, so him that's living in the believer and not the flesh of the believer. So the life of the second Adam, whoo, hallelujah, it's not my life. Because even as he entered into my sinfulness, now I enter into his life. My life is in you, Lord. Woo! But all of this is for one reason and one reason alone. God loves you so much that he, did, he paid a price that he didn't know. So you could enter into a life that you didn't deserve. That's unmerited favor. That's grace. Listen to me. Here's the amazing thing. The heart of God as your father is for his life to be your life. That's why the Bible says, be thou holy as I'm holy. Love as I love. Have the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Have the faith of God. Have the wisdom of God. Have the courage of God. It's not your life, it's his life in you. You see, the Father loves you so much that everything he is in the context of his character, he paid the hellish price he did so his life could be yours. No, I'm not saying you're some little God, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipresent. No. But I'm telling you this. The Bible says that you're now the righteousness of God. What's that mean? It means what's right, what's in God is now in you. The love of God's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. The measure of faith that Jesus walked in, a measure of that faith is in you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. If we could only enter in to the love of the Father. And we can. But you see, this is why communion is so important. This is why communion is so important. You take the scriptures I've just given you. Mark 14.33. Psalm 22.1. Leviticus 16.1-10. Uh, uh, to Second Corinthians 5.21, I said that. First John 5.3 and 4. 
Glory to God. 1 John 3, 8 and 9. Oh, Jesus. Matthew 26, 37. You enter into these scriptures. You eat of them. And you see, communion isn't some ritual, legalistic ritual. It's when you take that bread and take that cup and say, God, your body was broken. Your blood was shed. The price was paid. Glory to God. You know what was amazing? The, the Bible says in, in Psalm 103 and in Psalm 105 that when they ate of the lamb, you remember Passover, one of the feasts, seven feasts? When the blood was put over the doorpost, the death angel passed over. And that's amazing. But most people don't realize that's an awesome miracle represents eternal life. But when they eat of the lamb, the Bible says every one of them was healed. Not one feeble among them. You see, John 6.57. You see, it's all about intimacy, all about love. Go with me to John 6.57. I shared this with you, but I want to share it with the backdrop, amen, of the price that was paid. In John 6, 57, Jesus said, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by eating of him, so he that eats of me, even he shall live by me, even as I lived by the Father. My friend, you have the ability to eat of Jesus Christ. To eat of his word, eat of his presence. And let me share this with you. There's so much on the heart of God. Listen to me. God loves you so much. He wants to be so close to you, so intimate. The Bible says that even as the Father and Jesus are one, that he has now made a way through his own blood for us to enter into that same oneness with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's amazing, isn't it? Someone says, how could that be? Because of the price that was paid. Because you're no longer a slave. You're a child of the living God, a joint heir with Christ. Glory to God. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says this. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You see, the Holy Spirit could never, ever, ever indwell anybody prior to the new birth. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. It would burst them. It would destroy them. The Holy Spirit is infinitely holy. The Holy Spirit is infinitely righteous. The only way that he could indwell anything is if that entity that he would indwell would be equally holy and equally righteous. And that entity is you. You know, one of the strongest teachings we've ever done is on the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says right now that you are the Ark. The Holy Spirit used to dwell above the Ark, but now he dwells in you as the Ark. Why? 
Why can he indwell you? Why can he be one with you? Why can he infuse his life to you? Why can he have koinonia with you? It's because you are now righteous. Because the righteous one entered into unrighteousness becoming sin. And now you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost can now indwell you and be one with your spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's why he can manifest the resurrection power according to Romans 8.11. See, Romans 8.11 is awesome, but when you enter into the root of why and understand why he can do that, that's when your life has changed. I'm just going to weep and weep. I, I, I can't help but, oh my, there's so much. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I told you I threw away my notes and just going by the Holy Ghost. Hebrews chapter 12. We said it's about the amazing love of God. Oh, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's look at this. Verse 2. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, my. Well, let's start with verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does also easily beset us, and let us run with endurance, but patience, the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus said in John 14, 31, the reason I'm going to become sin is to please the Father. But here in Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus said, the reason I'm going to become sin, the reason I'm going to take the punishment for sin, the first goat, the reason I'm going to enter into the goat of Elziel is because I love you so much. He says, motivation's the key. You've heard the song, and rightly so, he could have called 10,000 angels and came down when he was enduring the sinfulness of your being. But it says for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. For the joy set before him. What's the joy? Of being able to have relationship with you and with me. Now this is where I, I want to get real practical, pragmatic. Notice that verse 1 says for Wherefore, see, oh Jesus, that we are compassionate about the great of witnesses. Let's lay aside the sin which was so easily beset us. The book of Hebrews was written in a, in a time of great persecution. Many Christians were falling away. And the Apostle Paul is appealing to them. The Holy Ghost through the Apostle Paul is appealing to believers and saying, no, no, don't give up. And then in verse 2, it starts out by saying this. Looking at Jesus, who paid the price. Looking at Jesus, who loved you so, not, so much. He entered into infinite suffering. I'm bringing this teaching. The Holy Ghost is bringing this teaching. So you can enter into the revelation of what the love of God entails in the context of just its profoundness, the greatness of it, the infinite 
measure of it, the length, the height, the width, the depth. And so you can walk pragmatically due to the reality of it. We've all gone through hard times. We've all gone through hard times. I've shared this prior. You know, my mom had spinal bifida. And she died a death. That it, it, she shouldn't have died that way. She should have been healed. I didn't know about healing not during that time. But I know this. She accepted Christ and she's in heaven today. But I, I, I shared this before. I need to share it again. You see, how did I know my, my mom loved me? Because when they told her to abort, to advert all the hellishness that she would go through if she didn't abort, because when you have spinal bifida, I, I mean the, your vertebrae is incomplete and it will shatter your vertebrae. And, and, and they told her, his, the baby is not going to, their vertebrae is going to be shattered. You're never going to walk again and he's never going to be able to live because it's going to shatter before he's viable. But she went through it. I, I, I was born. But she went through hell. 18 back operations because her vertebrae was virtually shattered. How do I know she loved me? Because of the price she paid for me. I'll never forget. I shared this prior. She, she asked me to make a commitment I would live right. One of my good friends had died right up the street. And then another good friend of mine had died just, I mean, two doors up. Drugs, both of them. And she said, you know what? Make a commitment to me that you won't get involved in drugs and you'll live right. And she looked at me with those big brown eyes and I knew that she loved me. And you see, I'll, my God, I, I said, I'll do what you tell me to do out of respect for you. I, there's different times when I have a hard time. I envision those brown eyes, those big brown eyes. Man, when I was growing up and she had gone to be with the Lord and I was going through hard times, I, I looked at those brown, big brown eyes. And say, I'm not going to disrespect your request. Well, there's one greater than my mom. There's one greater than anybody in your life, and that's Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto the price that he paid. Because you see, when Peter's eyes were on Jesus, he walked on the water. And the only way you're going to get victory in this life is you learn to be a water walker. You say, I can't walk on the water. I'm going to tell you something. When you look at the eyes of Jesus, when you look at the price he paid, glory to God, I, I want this, this backdrop up there again. I, I, this picture behind me or in front of me, I want you to see it. I want you to look at it. I want you to see it. I want you to look at it. I, I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to look at the Lamb of God. I want you to look at the brassy babe. Looking unto Jesus. I'm here to tell you, when you're going through a hard time, when you feel alone, when you feel like God's not there for you, when it doesn't look like it's going to happen, when hope is seemingly lost, I want you to look at Jesus. 
I want you to look at the stripes of Jesus. I want you to look at the reality of the price that he paid and becoming sin for you. I want you to look at this Jesus. I want you now to look at the Jesus, the second Adam, that's saying the price is paid. I'm here in the heavenlies that you might have my life in you through the Holy Ghost, even as you claim my word, even as you claim my blood, even as you claim my stripes, even as you claim, glory to God, the redemptive work, hallelujah, that I went through. I want you to know as you claim it, as you declare it, the Holy Ghost to the glory of the Father will surely strengthen you and cause my life to be your life. The amazing life of God. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Some people think, I don't know how they get this, that somehow heaven's under construction. It's not. When he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Read the context. He's talking about going to the cross. He said, I'm going to the cross to prepare the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So where I am, you can be also. See, heaven's not the longevity of days as much as it is. You and the Father being one. You and the Lord Jesus being one. You and the Holy Ghost being one. You being where he is. Him having a need for you to be where he's at. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you'll be also. Can I tell you something? We've shared this in prior lessons, teachings. Jesus needs to be with you. You say you have a need for Jesus? You do. <laughs> it's infinite. But he has made himself in his sovereignty to have a need for you, to be where he is. And he's made himself. He's so needful to meet your needs. Again, in the natural, Luke 13, Luke 11 and 13, it shares any father, even that's evil, Pretty, what's good for his kids? Man, if they ask for a stone, he's not going to give them a snake. And it says this, how much more will the Father in heaven, your heavenly Father, give you the Holy Ghost? As we close, I want you to see something. God's love is so amazing that he would never have been content for you to be like an angel. He needed you to be like his only begotten son. I'm going to say that again. He needed you to be like his only begotten son. Romans 8, 29. Whom he know he gave the destiny. Here's the greatest destiny. To be conformed to the image of his son that his son might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, the Father loves you so much. He needs every iota of who he is to be your image. His love, his faith, his wisdom, his courage. And he knew the only way it could happen 
is if he became like you and your evil and your sinfulness in me and endured it to get rid of it so there would be place for his image and his righteousness and his glory and that he would be able to have a legal right to manifest through the new birth and the infusion power of the Holy Ghost the life of Jesus Christ. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. My righteousness is in you, Lord. My love is in you, Lord. My faith is in you, Lord. My wisdom is in you, Lord. Because it's your strength. It's your love. It's your faith. It's your wisdom. the most amazing thing about the amazing love of God is the need that he has for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And he had such a need out of his love because the more you conform to his image, the more oneness you can have. And in reality, when you're righteous, glory to God, that oneness is there, hallelujah, in the context that even as you, he's one with your spirit, but also in the context of sanctification, that oneness is realized. But here's what's amazing. He knew the hellish price that would have to be paid for that reality to be realized. And the Bible says in Psalms, he looked at Jesus. Jesus knew the price. The Holy Ghost knew the price. And Jesus said, I will become the sin offering, physically and spiritually. Because, Father, the need in you is in me. The need that's in me is in the Spirit of God. And our greatest need is for man to enter in to our image. So the first Adam was thrown away by sin. But I'm going to give them a second Adam. And every time they look at me, every time they claim my word, every time they believe, every time they confess the promises of God, the second Adam is now going to be who they are because they truly are the second Adam through the new birth and the infusion, the grace infusion of the Holy Ghost. Amazing love. As infinite as he is omnipotent. Amazing love. As infinite as the price that was paid for you. 